Father, we praise you for the good news. Good news that you sent your son into this dark world. Thank you, Father, for that news. It is indeed a love song. Your son is that song. And we're grateful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's so much we don't understand about Christmas and about your love. But we pray that you would help us to understand more and more this morning that the rest of this Christmas week we would be prepared to love you as we ought and to live out that love for the sake of the world around us that is dark and lost. May glory be brought to you throughout the world this week as your people uh, sing in their lives the love song of Jesus. And these things we pray in his name. Amen. So, last Sunday of Advent, the theme is love, and we're talking about this morning the mysterious love of Christmas. And is there any greater subject than love when you think about it? I mean, are there, have there been any more songs written about anything but love? Just about every popular song that you would listen to on the radio or online has something to do about love. Books written about love. Every movie that is made, there is some theme of love throughout. Love is what makes the world go round, they say. Love is so widely talked about, and yet, unfortunately, it is little understood. There are mysteries of love. Like, why do I love ice cream but not liver? It's mysterious. How come? Seriously, think about it. Why do you love this but not that? What is that? Where does that come from? Why do you love crime dramas but you don't love comedies? Why did you fall in love with your spouse? Maybe it was mysterious and miraculous and warm and wonderful at the time. But why do you love this person and not that one? Why is that? And how do you fall out of love? How do you fall into love? It just, I was minding my own business. It just happens to you, right? Like something outside of you. And what kind of love sends his only son into a world like this, knowing that he will die? At Christmas time, we want to show our love to others by by giving gifts, love to our kids, to our spouses, family members. Obviously, part of the problem here, the, uh, part of the mystery is in, in our English language, we really only have one word for love that we use for many, many different things. I don't love pizza in the same way that I love my wife. I love them both. And I loved my mother dearly, but not in the same way that I love my wife. And I love my children, but not in the same way that I love God. It's mysterious. There are things about love that it's hard for us to understand. I think one of the greatest mysteries of love is, why does God love me? And that's just a mystery for you to think about why he loves me, but for you. Have you ever thought about it? Have you really ever thought about it? 
Why does God love you? It's a true mystery. It really is. Remember, the word mystery, as we have seen many times is in the New Testament, is something that was once, once hidden and has now been made known. It is now revealed. And the mystery in the New Testament is the mystery of the gospel, that good news. Every bit of it is mysterious because they didn't understand it. The Old Testament prophets who spoke of the Messiah and spoke of the new age and spoke of forgiveness of sins, even spoke of, re- of the resurrection, they had no idea what they were talking about. It was mysterious to them. And those who received those prophecies certainly did not know. That's why Christmas is so wonderful because it is it is about the mystery of the gospel. And with Christmas, the curtain rises to reveal the gospel. And with Christmas, the mystery is revealed once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ. It was hidden in the Old Testament, but Christ brought it to fore, and the Spirit of God reveals it to us. It was there all the time. But it was hidden. I want you to know before we, we look at our scripture reading this morning, as we're talking about love, love is oftentimes described as, as a river that flows. And, and, and it is. Love is something that flows directionally. It does. It flows directionally. It flows vertically because love starts with God and it flows down to us vertically. And then our love flows upwards to him vertically. But as we receive his love, then it flows horizontally out. And even then that river forks because we are told that by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and his commandments are to love one another. But then we are also it forks another direction because we are to love our neighbor. We are to love our community. We are to love people that don't know the Lord. We are to show them the love of Christ and the light of the glorious gospel and the good news. And then that that love comes back to us as we love one another. It flows upwards and downwards. It flows outward and inward. And it is always quite mysterious. So with that, let's look at the scriptures. If you have the scriptures with you, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you are able, would you please stand as we read God's word, often called the love chapter. We'll come back to this. We're in a study of uh, 1 Corinthians and we're just dipping our toes into it this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the word of God. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. We're going to look at several mysteries this morning. And this first mystery is the mystery of our love for God. Do you love Jesus? I hope you do. I think you do. But why do you love Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Have you really thought about, do you really love Jesus? Remember Jesus talking to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you really love me? Yes. Do you really love me? It's pretty pretty easy to say, isn't it, that I love Jesus? But to evaluate our love for Jesus is to evaluate our our life itself. Because they must go together. What difference does it make that I love Jesus? Is it just that at 6.30 in the morning I got the scriptures and I have this this little thing, this feeling, and I, I just connect with him and it feels so good? Is that what loving Jesus is all about? There's much more to it than that. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in our life. Our text for this series has been 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This says this, Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. The things we haven't heard of, things we have never seen, things we could not even begin to dream of. God has prepared those unimaginable blessings for those who love him. That is a mysterious statement in itself because it's not typical Pauline language, the language of the Apostle Paul. Normally, Paul would say he's prepared these things for those who know him or for those who believe in him, but he uses the word love. I have to ask the question, though, are these unimaginable blessings, are they dependent upon your continued love of him? I hope not, right? (laughs) If that were the case, if these blessings were dependent upon our love of him, I think we would probably be in a little bit of trouble. It's important for us to understand that even though when Paul talks about about these unimaginable blessings that are reserved for us, for those of us who love him, they are not contingent upon us. They are not contingent upon the individual in our love of him. 
because they are rooted in eternity past before you ever existed. They're rooted in his sovereign plan of the ages. Verses 7 and 8, which come before verse 9, obviously, he said this, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, predestined before the ages to our glory, before there was, ever was an age, before there ever was a universe, before time began, he predestined us to glory and to our love of him. The wisdom which none of the rulers of the ages understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand that God would take on human flesh. They didn't understand that Messiah would be rejected and nailed to a tree. They didn't understand that he would become a sin sacrifice and that he would rise from the dead. It was mysterious to them. They didn't understand it. If they had known that, obviously, they would never have crucified him. But these were predestined for our glory, things which eye has not seen, ear not heard, which we have not entered into a, into a heart of man, that God has prepared for those who love him. Those who love him. We only love because all love is from God. The very concept throughout wherever people are talking about love in the world, it is divine. It's, in, it's divine in origin. They may not understand it. They may misuse it. They may misconstrue it. They may change it into something that is ugly, but it, the very concept of love, like all virtue, comes from the very heart of God, even when misunderstood. That's why a mother like Mary... When this baby was born to her, did she love her baby? Of course she did. She gave birth to this baby. And when a, when a, ba when a mother takes her newborn baby in her arms, there is a bond between mother and child that I don't understand. Because I've never had a baby. And by the way, men cannot have babies. You understand that, right? And so it's a wonderful thing. But it's something only a mother of a child can understand. It's a mystery. It's mysterious. Joseph certainly loved his son, even though it wasn't really his son. And, and it's a love that only a father can understand. It's mysterious. And, and I'm sure that Joseph grew in his love more and more of Jesus Christ. But it's a love that is only between a father and a son, or a father and a daughter. Your love at Christmas, that you love your spouse, you love your parents, you love your children, your grandparents, people that you love and you give them gifts, that idea comes from God. It is divine. But how do we love him? How on earth do we love him? Because we do not naturally love God, do we? We are naturally rebellious, the scriptures tell us. We are naturally enemies of God, the scriptures tell us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul would say, there is none righteous, not one. He would say, there is none who seeks for God. 
None. Ever. And yet we come to love him. Is it because you sought him out? Because you had some desire to love him? Naturally, no. So the mystery is, why do I love Jesus? 1 John 4.10 and 1 John 4.19 In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent. Yes, that's Christmas. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. He's propitious toward us. In other words, he is now favorable toward us. We were enemies, but now we are seated at the table. We are now friends. We are sons of God because of his son. He sent him. That's the mystery in the manger. First John 4:19. We love because he first loved us. You want to know the answer to the question, why do I love Jesus? Because he loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His love is why he sent him the incarnation and why he gave him and the redemption. And our love of God is only possible because of his love for us. Because he always takes the first step. He initiates that love toward us. The old hymn, you know it. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Biblical. It's the only reason you love him. You recognize it and you respond to it, yes. But he has to love you first because, and then he gives you the capacity. Then he gives you the wherewithal. Then he enables you to love him because he first loves you. And that's where our love for God comes from, from him. We would not do it on our own. So that mystery is somewhat solved. The scriptures speak directly to it. The second mystery is the mystery of of God's love for us, not our love of him, but his love of us. I think it's a greater mystery, really, and perhaps even in some ways unsolved. We can explain that we love God because he first loved us, and the scripture just said that, but it begs the question, but why did he first love me? Why did he? And why me? Do you ever ask yourself that question? God, why me? You know me. You've seen me. You know my thoughts. You know what I've done and where I've been and how I continually fail, always wanting and striving to be closer and better and more righteous, and yet one step forward, two back, two steps forward, one back. We're all in the same boat, are we not? Why would you love me? You know, the point of Christmas is indeed God's love for us. John 3.16 can never be overused. It always has impact and power for God so loved the world of mankind that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God 
loved us and gave his son for us. John 4.10, we saw it a minute ago, we see it again. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that propitiation for our sins. God's love for us is what Christmas is all about. It's, it's the main thing. There are lots of trappings and wonderful things and traditions that have sprung up around it, but it is all about God's love for us. And why is this important? That he loves us first? Because we're not very lovable sometimes. There are some people that are just not very lovable at all. They're kind of prickly. You know, the curmudgeons, the people that are always negative and you just kind of want to avoid. But sometimes all of us are that way. Sometimes all of us are unlovable. Sometimes you are unlovable and so am I. And some people are unloved and truly rejected. At some point in their life, someone they loved rejected them. It could have been a love. It could have been a parent. It could have been a brother or a sister or a friend group. or I don't know, a child. And they live a life with the identity of rejection. Some of you are in that boat here in this room. You believe you are unloved. And humanly speaking, maybe you are. Some people don't even understand love at all. Maybe you're here this morning to understand the love of God and the gospel, the good news, and you've never experienced that love. Some people at Christmas despair that they are not loved. Christmas passes them by. They're outside looking in at the love of others and the shows and the songs and the people that they know. It's that quintessential scene in movies and books where you have the little waif standing outside in the cold and it's night and it's snowing and the wind is blowing and they're looking inside a window and there's a fireplace and light and a family is celebrating and eating turkey and joyful and loving each other and the little waif is excluded and some of you feel that way at Christmas time. And there are people in our experience, neighbors next door, people you work with, other family members that have that experience. But let me tell you something. Oh, Christian, if you are in any of those categories, any of them, you are loved infinitely by God. Infinitely. And nothing can or ever will change that in all the trappings of Christmas and the wonderful things, yes, they're joyful, they never begin to measure his love for you. So again, why? Why would he love me? Because God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us God is love. John says that twice in this epistle. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We are in a relationship 
of love with him because it is the very nature of God like holiness, like eternality, like justice, like wisdom, like goodness. Love is not just that we say oftentimes, well, God is very loving. Yes, he is. You know why he's very loving? Because he is love. It's part of his nature. And here's the mystery. It continues, and I can't explain it. He loves you because God is love, but also because he chose you. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. His love is his choice of you. Why did he choose me? I have no idea. Because there are people that are better than I. Talented, smarter. But for some reason, he chose us. Chose us to be his sons. Adopted us. According to his kind intention. Because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, the word love, I searched this week to try and find it in the birth narratives. Matthew and Luke, the story of, couldn't find it. Except, maybe in this sense, when the angel comes to Mary and gives her the news that she's going to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and she breaks forth in what is called the Magnificat. She says this, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. She uses the word mercy as she is quoting Psalm 103, 17, that says this, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. She uses the word mercy the psalm is the word loving kindness. We've talked about this word. It's an important Hebrew word, the word chesed, that means God's loyal love. Sometimes it's uh, translated as unfailing love. It is the covenantal love of God. He enters into a covenant with us. And we are in the new covenant, not the old covenant of law, but the new covenant of Christ, where the Spirit of God makes hearts of stone, hearts of flesh, and makes us alive together with him, and makes us to be his children. We're born again. So we have this loyal love, this loving kindness, this merciful, unfailing love. It is covenantal, and once you enter into that, God cannot not love you. He cannot ever and will not ever stop loving you. It's mysterious. What kind of love is this? His love is faithful. Our love is fickle. His love is loyal. He makes promises to us and he keeps them. We make promises to one another and we find ways out if it gets inconvenient. His love can always be counted upon. I wish I could say that, that you could always count on me. I'll always be there for you. 
And just like joy, his love is independent of circumstances. His love is unchanging. It does not waver. Our love wavers and goes up and down according to the moment, according to how we feel, according to what we ate, whether we're sick, whether we got a good night's sleep. We lose patience. God never loses patience with us. His love is unconditional and his lasting his love is eternal because it is lasting. It never fails. Ours comes and goes. Our love of our spouse and our children and one another. And his love also prompts grace. You know the verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. But why does he give us the gift of grace? Because of his love. Because of his mercy. Because of his loving kindness. He gives us the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life. Santa is fun to pretend and think about and all that. But why does Santa give gifts? It's a reward for good behavior. Salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Honestly, I think parents give gifts to their children because they love them. I I, I don't know. I've never heard of a parent saying, well, you have been bad, so I'm not going to give you any gifts this year. That doesn't happen. Because your love for them is, uh, is unconditional. Because your love for them is divine. It's true love. And that is the love that gives us the gift of eternal life. His love is loyal and unfailing, for his love is always part of who he is. He is love. The third mystery is the mystery of the embodiment of love. And by the embodiment of love, I am talking about the incarnation. The incarnation, we throw that word around a lot, it means in flesh, incarnate. He is incarnate. God becomes a human being. He took on human flesh. That is the incarnation. And the highest expression of love is probably the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The highest expression expression of love think about it for a minute from a theological point of view how much higher is god than us infinitely higher we can't even imagine well he is, his being is like in his holiness and his love and his infinity and his eternality we we don't we don't have the capacity to understand it i've used this before but say there's a a, a colony of worms and if i were to become a worm to save them i go a long ways down don't i but the the distance between the worm and me doesn't even come close to to the distance between me and god that distance is infinite and for him to take on this flesh in this world in this dark place and to take upon himself Humanity and tiredness and hunger and thirst and temptation and then pain and death. That is love. That is love. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul does not give a definition. He doesn't say, well, agape love is unconditional, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't say that. In 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us what love is and what love is not. Because the theology of the incarnation is always practical. Theology always has to be practical. Otherwise, we end up with Gnosticism. Hey, I know things about the hypostatic union and the incarnation that others don't know. And we become become erudite and proud and arrogant for knowing how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The incarnation is practical. And Paul tells us what love is by description and what it is not by description. And he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Even though 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of our love for one another, it is a divine standard. God has given us the standard and he has given us the means by which we can actually live out this kind of love. But what he tells us is the way we, we are to love one another, that is the exact way that God has loved us through his son. This, it's a picture of Christ. And so we always look to Christ to know how to love one another, always. And since God is love, love was in the manger. Sinclair Ferguson wrote an Advent devotional called Love Came Down at Christmas. You might say, well, I don't know about the title. Well, we say glory came on, with Jesus. We say, we say power came. We say light came. But if God is love, then love did come down at Christmas. And the mystery of the manger is Jesus Christ. The baby in the manger is the embodiment of God's love for us. It's a mystery, a wonderful mystery. There is no greater expression of God's love than the incarnation. And the incarnation has no meaning without the atonement because the atonement is what love achieves. If he had just stayed a baby, it's a nice story with angels and shepherds and all that stuff. But the manger means nothing without the cross. Because the cross is what love costs. The life of his son. That's the mystery in the manger. The mystery in the manger is Jesus. The son of God who incarnates love for our redemption. In chapter 13 and verse... uh, 1 Corinthians 13... Verse 13, Paul ends that, and we'll come back to this again in a few weeks. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. 
I'm still noodling on this and working my way through exactly what this means, and we'll come back to it. But love is grounded in the very nature of God. Faith is not. God is not. Uh, God does not have faith. God does not have hope. Faith will be made sight. Hope will be realized. There may be some way in which faith and hope continue on into eternity. Still thinking about that, okay? But what I do know is that love is different from those two because it is part of the very nature of God. Therefore, it endures forever. It is the grace, the greatest of all. So in conclusion, here are some applications for you in this last week of Christmas. Four things. And the first is this. Would you continually remind yourself of the great commandment this week? The words of Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's easy to say, right? I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. But will you love him and remind yourself this week that this is what the season is about His love for you and your love of him because he first loved you with everything that you have. With every Christmas card you write. With every movie you watch. With every thing you eat. Celebrate. But do it in love of him. Second is this. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love grow cold. It is warned of us in Matthew 24 by Jesus, speaking of the end times. He says, which we are, the times in which we live. He says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. That's the next thing on the calendar. The end is coming. The second advent, and what are we supposed to be doing? Loving him, our love should not grow cold. We need to feed that love and fan those embers. In Revelation 2, Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus, and he said, you guys, you're fantastic. Theologically, you're, you're great, and you have so many things, but this I have against you. You have left your first love. Have you found that you have left your first love? Has your love grown grown cold of Christ? Fan that flame. How do you do that? Jesus said, repent, turn back and do the former things you used to do when when your faith was exciting and full of joy and full of love. Do those things again and the spirit of God will grow that love in you. The third is this, love your neighbor as yourself, the second commandment that Jesus gave. Are you loving your neighbor? Are we loving our neighbor? Part of our mission statement is to love our community. It's one thing to love one another, yes, but to love the unlovely, the unlovable, that guy that lives next to you that never talks to you. The ethical and moral imperative of the gospel is to help the poor and the needy and the persecuted 
and those who are less fortunate than us. A few weeks ago, I encouraged you and your family to find ways to help someone who is in that boat. And or it could be someone even in our church who recently lost a spouse this year or last year to do something for those who feel like they are on the outside looking in. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the words of the hymn, the great Christmas song, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. His law is love. And fourth, prepare your heart this week to love more and to be loved more for God is love. Because you have not experienced the greatest amount of his love yet. You have not. There will always be more in next year, in the next day, even in eternity, more and more and more and more. Prepare your heart for more love and to love more because his love is boundless and infinite and he wants you to experience that in these last few days of Advent. Sinclair Ferguson said this, This is the heart of the matter, as Sir James Young Simpson saw so clearly. This is what we should never forget on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. The Son of God was born for us in order to die for us. When we see that, then we have begun to understand love. And then we discover the joyful truth of John Donne's words, and this is the poem, Who God loves, he loves to the end, and not to their end and to their death, but to his end. And his end is that he might love them more. He wants you to experience more and more of his love found here. This is a feast. This is a love feast. This is the incarnation, the body of Christ, this expression of love that God became a man to go through all that he went through and all those experiences and the suffering and the death that he might rise from the dead. It just represents something so incredibly deep. It's a love feast for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be the propitiation of for our sins. That's what this represents. A love that is boundless, a love that is free, a love that we have because he first loved us. And believer in Christ, if you are here and you know him, come to the table and with joy express your love to him because he first loved you. Father God in heaven, thank you for the incarnation of Christ the Son of God who took on human flesh, suffer and die for us. He felt. He was tired. He was in pain because of love for us. And he died for us, pouring out his lifeblood as a sacrifice that we might live forever because of your great love. And so on this Christmas, 
as we celebrate this mysterious love of Jesus Christ. There's so much yet that we don't understand, and yet we have enough. And so we partake of this with great joy this morning in Jesus' name. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And God's people said, 